Good morning. If we have any kids in the service, they are welcome to go to Kids Church now. There'll be someone. Molly is there to welcome you and walk you down. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, um, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, and this month we've adopted a simple prayer, just a single sentence to pray every day, and that prayer is, Lord, help us see people as you do. Lord, help us see people as you do. And um, this prayer is taken from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talks about how if we are to see people clearly as God sees them, we first have to take the plank out of our own eye, <laughs> right? And see ourselves as God sees us. These wonderful, beautiful people made in the image of God that are also deeply broken, and being restored by the grace of God. And once we begin to see ourselves that way, then we can see other people that way too. Um, we're continuing. We're almost to the end. We're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount today. Um, and Jesus, after he instructs us, you know, to take the plank out of our own eye, not to judge others, he then balances that teaching by warning us to look out, watch out for false prophets. Before we dive in, I just want to define prophet, because different people have different ideas of what a prophet is. But the Bible actually uses the term just very generally, and Jesus here is using the term very generally. A prophet, quite simply, is someone who speaks God's message. Amen. That's it. And in the Bible, there are professional prophets who, like, that was their job, but there's also lots of other people that God calls prophets. Some of them were regular People, there's some women who sing songs and they call them prophets because their songs are prophetic. There's leaders like judges and kings, King David, Joseph. A wide range of people are called prophets in the Bible. It's just someone who speaks God's message. And I think this topic is very timely about how to discern who is a true prophet and who is a false prophet. Because right now there's a lot of people who are struggling with their faith. There's a lot of people who followed someone that they believed was a true leader sent by God. And then if that person turns out to be abusive, man, it just wrecks them. It becomes so disillusioning. And, you know, it can be easy to throw stones at deconstructing Christians. And say, oh, they don't come to church anymore because they don't have enough faith or they don't love God enough, you know. But... When you trust someone who claims to be a Christian leader and that person turns out to be abusive, maybe using ministry for their own gain, it can be very hard to trust anything regarding God after that. So how do we know the difference between a false prophet, someone who is actually speaking God's message for us, and someone who's not. Because false prophets, they will claim Jesus. 
They will talk about stuff in the Bible. But they have nothing to do with Jesus. Amen. So let's read. Chapter 7, verse 15. The words of Jesus. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look innocent. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The first paragraph of Jesus' teaching here, it seems pretty straightforward and clear. He gives us kind of this equation. So, someone who produces good fruit is a good leader or a good prophet. They're a good tree, right? And if they produce bad fruit, then what? Yeah, they're a bad leader. They're a bad prophet. They're a bad tree. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward, right? And it seems like we should be able to easily tell what's good fruit and bad fruit. Until you read his next paragraph. And then we have a conundrum. Because he says there will be people who prophesy in his name, who speak the things of God. And they will even cast out demons and heal people. Does that not sound like good fruit? And he said, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean they're from me. I may not even know that. Jesus is saying that ministry success is not an indication that someone is sent from God. And I think this is really hard for us as Americans because we equate success with God's favor and blessing upon someone. Don't we? We assume that success is a good fruit that proves like God is with this person. God is blessing them. In churches, this is, this looks like assuming bigger churches. Wow, God is really blessing them and their leader must be really godly. And if they're rapidly growing, then wow, that person is just tremendously gifted and called by God. Maybe. Maybe not. Success is not necessarily a sign Even extraordinary success, like healing people, not necessarily a sign that someone is sent from God. 
So if it's not ministry success, then what is this good fruit that we're supposed to be looking for? John the Baptist himself struggled with this question. I want you to flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 11. Just a few pages over. Matthew chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. Um, John was Jesus' older cousin. And from his birth, John believed Jesus was a son of God who came into the world to save people from their sins. And he devoted his whole life to preparing people to accept Jesus. And he gave up everything. Like, I mean, every comfort, every luxury, not for himself, but for Jesus. And at first, things went really, really well. Hundreds of people were coming out to hear John, and they were getting, they were repenting and getting baptized. And then Jesus came along, and he's like, here, here's the Son of God. And people then started following Jesus. Thousands of people were turning out in big crowds and learning, and people were getting healed, and demons were being cast out. And it just seemed like this kingdom of God was an unstoppable force. And so John gets really bold, and he um, he preaches against King Herod for his sin. And that lands him in jail. And Jesus doesn't use his power to break John out of jail. Jesus, all these thousands of people that are following him, he doesn't even like campaign for John to be released. And John hears about everything that Jesus is doing and realizes that, that Jesus is, he's like continuing the ministry without him. Amen. With these 12 other guys who barely knew. I mean, John and Jesus were family. John had given his whole life to propping up Jesus. And, and now they weren't going side by side advancing the kingdom of God. Now John was rotting in jail and Jesus was just moving on with some other strangers. This is not what John envisioned following God would look like. And he began to wonder... Was I a false prophet when I told people that Jesus was the one? Let's read Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Disillusionment has a powerful impact on our faith. Even the best of us will doubt at times. John didn't doubt because he heard Jesus was doing nothing. He doubted because he heard reports that Jesus was ministering, that Jesus was moving on without him. 
is someone who has faithfully followed God. It can be very painful to see God working in everyone else's life but yours. And in sending this message, John is really saying like, hey, you remember me? I'm the one who believed in you before anybody. I put my hope in you. Was I wrong about that? Disillusionment happens to the best of us, but it doesn't have to be the end of our faith journey. Jesus replied, verse 4, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is in many ways a most unhelpful answer. I mean, what did we just read? A few chapters ago, in Jesus' most famous sermon, he says someone who who does miracles is not necessarily from God. Let's keep reading. As As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I love how Jesus does not disparage John for his disillusionment. In fact, Jesus goes out of his way to tell everyone who overheard the incident that, look, John's not fickle. He's not some reed swayed in the wind. He's not easily moved by popular opinion or circumstance. He's not someone who just, you know, is an attention seeker, dressed in fine clothes so people would come out to see him and now that he's not the center of attention is bitter. No, that's not John. John is a true prophet. He's a true prophet. I love how Jesus does not disparage him for his, for his current disillusionment. Verse 11, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? The context here is prophets, it, that Jesus is talking about prophets. So he's not measuring the value of different people. Whether he's talking about prophets and the value of the message they carry. And he's saying of all the prophets that have come before, John's message is the greatest. Why? Because he could point to Jesus the most clearly, right? 
other prophets in the Old Testament, I mean, there's like hundreds of years separating them and Jesus. They could only talk about this coming Savior in, in vague terms. But John is like, no, dude, here, this is him. <laughs> I know him. He's my cousin. And John could speak about Jesus so much more clearly than anyone. And so his message was the greatest. And yet, Jesus also says the least in the kingdom of God will be greater than him. You see, John was executed. And he never lived to see Jesus die and rise again. And so his message about Jesus didn't include the greatest news of all. That Jesus comes and he takes away our sin and our shame and he conquered death for us. So that this life is not the only life. That we can rise again to new life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And Jesus is saying the least in the kingdom of God know that. We'll know that. I'm guessing you probably don't consider yourself great in the kingdom of God. You know, but whether you have been a Christian 20 years or six months, you actually know more about Jesus than John the Baptist did. Which means you carry a greater message than John the Baptist did. Which also means you have a responsibility. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Some of your translations might say something like, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. What does this mean? Well, first of all, it means the kingdom of heaven, it, it is powerful. Amen. It is forceful. And it had been forcefully advancing. Thousands of people were coming. Demons were being cast out. People were being healed. It is, it is the most powerful force on earth. But it also means that people who crave power will always be drawn to it. And people who crave power will try to claim God's kingdom and use it for their own purposes. And that was beginning to happen then at King Herod, the Pharisees. But it still happens to this day that people who claim, who desire power will try to claim God's kingdom and use it to their own advantage. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting out in a marketplace and calling out to others, We played a pipe for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. 
For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proven right by her deeds. True prophets don't perform. They don't dance when you play songs and and mourn when you play dirges. Two prophets have a deep conviction that they must stay true to because they're called by God. And their wisdom is proven right by their actions. But then we're back to this question. What are those actions? What is that good fruit that proves their wisdom is from God? Sometimes I totally overthink things. And then when God gives me the answer, it's like, oh, duh. (laughs) That happened to me this week. On your screen, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the kind of fruit that God produces, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Leaders who are from God, their speech will produce God's fruit. Their speech, their fruit of the Spirit will be evident in their life, but also in the people who listen to them. I see so many public figures who claim to be Christians, whether they be politicians or artists or news media personality or pastors, who try to motivate people by fear. And yet, do you know what the most common command in Scripture is? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Every angel sent from God starts with do not fear. And these leaders, and I have been guilty of listening to people whose their messages seem moral to me. They seem like they align with Scripture. But if I take a step back and I kind of listen to everything they're saying and I boil down their message into a nutshell, their message is, those people over there are idiots. They're our enemies and we have to beat them. If we don't beat them, our way of life will be taken from us. That's a fear-based message. And I don't think it's from Jesus. Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to pray for them and bless them. Do the people you listen to, whether those be national leaders or maybe your coworker or your friend at school, do they bless their enemies? Jesus tells us not to fight for and preserve our way of life, but to lay down our lives for others. Because he laid down his life for us. 
James 3, 13-18 says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving. Consider it. It is submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. Good fruit. Impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Do the people you listen to Produce that in you. Do they produce the fruit of the Spirit in you? Or do the people you listen to train you to be suspicious of others? Because if you are listening to a message that basically boils down to those people over there are dumb and and if they get in control, man, our world is, you know, going to pieces. If you're listening to that message over and over again, it's going to train your brain to see people suspiciously. Listen to people whose speech produces the fruit of the Spirit in you. This could be leaders, it could be pastors, artists, co-workers, friends. Someone this this week asked me um, what kind of music I like to listen to, and I just kind of laughed because I'm not really a music person. But, um, <laughs> I like anything but country. That'll work. <laughs> and I thought about it some more. And someone who I used to love and listen to a lot of was Pink. And I remember the day I was in my car, like, rocking out to Pink. And I just began to think about the kind of thoughts that were coming to my mind and the kind of feelings that I would feel. And I'm like, huh, maybe I shouldn't listen to Pink so much. Have you ever taken time to evaluate what's going on inside of you after you listen to someone? What kind of thoughts are you thinking? What kind of things are you feeling? Are you feeling joy? Are you feeling peace? Are you feeling like you want to move towards self-control? Are you feeling anxiety? And I'm not talking about um, when you reject someone's message and you're angry about it because you've rejected that message. I mean, someone who you like to listen to and you like to receive their message. What does their speech produce in you? When a leader speaks and you feel conviction, 
that conviction should lead to an increase of love and and self-control in you. For example, Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend Doctor, he spoke with great conviction, right? And the people who listened to them, what was the fruit produced in them? It was an increase of compassion. It was an increase of love for others and an increase of self-control. His followers had very courageous self-control. And he did ultimately lay down his life. Someone who when you listen to them, they fill you with pride that you're better than those people over there. That person's not from God. Because pride is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruit that comes from a message that's from God. I'm not just talking about people who disparage people on the other side of the political aisle. It could be co-workers. It could be your parents. It could be, it could be anyone. Pastors do this. Mark Driscoll built the fastest growing church in American history. Out in Seattle. Marcel. And the whole time, if you listen to his sermons, he is cracking jokes about other churches and how naive and ignorant they are. And how they just don't understand the things about the Bible that we understand here at Mars Hill. And their music, it's so out of touch, but we have anointed music. You know? And they don't know how to reach the world for Christ, but we have God-given vision here. And the Christians listening just would nod their head and laugh and be filled with pride. And their church of 15,000 people came crashing down and was totally washed away in three months. Three months. The people you listen to, what kind of fruit do they produce in you? And remember, we got to take the plank out of our own eye first, right? So this isn't what leaders other people are listening to. We have to evaluate ourselves, the people we listen to. What are we thinking? What are we feeling after we listen to them? I want to turn back to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to close here with the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus gives us one more clue to the kind of good fruit that good leaders sent by God produce. We left off in verse 23. We're going to pick up in verse 24. Chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down and the streams rose. I've got a children's song just coming out in front of me. Yeah. And the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
And the rains came down, and the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority and not as their teachers of the law. Leaders sent from God, what they build lasts. Whether that be a movement like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., or it be a ministry, or it be a group of people they invest in, including your family. Your family is your first ministry. What they build will withstand the storms. And Jesus promises the storms will come. Any leader who promises you they can build something that will keep you from experiencing the storm is a false prophet. There's pastors who've been guilty of doing that who say, if you just give your heart to Jesus... Everything in your life will be made whole and complete. Jesus promises there will be storms. But he promises to strengthen us so that we can withstand the storms. And that's what good leaders do. They strengthen their followers so they can withstand the storms. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the one true, good, wise leader. And that you finish the work that you start. And you bring it to completion. And that what you build lasts. And so God, I pray you will help us to see people as you do. That we will be wise and discerning and able to see the good and the bad fruit and know who is speaking messages and thoughts sent by you and who is not. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the times that we have just idolized success and envied success. And God, I, I pray you forgive us for the times that we have um, judged people for a lack of success too. And that their lives were a mess because somehow they, they were just um, wayward. God, help us to see people as you do. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. And help us to see others. And give us wisdom to know who to listen to. And may our speech, God, be speech that produces the fruit of the Spirit in other people.
for the parents. God, may our speech produce your fruit in our children. For our spouses, God, may our speech produce the fruit of the Spirit in our spouse. For those of us in school, may our speech produce your good fruit in other people. May it encourage people to be patient and kind. At work, God. May our speech produce your good fruit in those around us. Thank you for the message you've entrusted to us. It is really humbling when I sit and I think I know more about Jesus Christ than John the Baptist did. That just kind of blows my mind. And so, God, I thank you for that privilege. And I pray that you will help us steward the message you've given us. May we be true prophets. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.